people are going to see this 15 to 25% net operating premium that we're getting on a co-living development versus a traditional multifamily. And we think that those assets are going to essentially be worth more. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about their pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E. You're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best of your listeners, and welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Theo Hicks, and today we'll be speaking with Matthew Ryan. Matthew, how are you doing today? Doing great. How about you, Theo? I am well. Thanks for asking and thanks for joining us again. So Matthew was previously interviewed by Joe on episode 1593. So make sure you check that out to learn more about his background. Today is Sunday. So it's skill set Sunday. So we're going to talk about a specific skill that Matthew is focusing on and how you can apply that to your business. And that is going to be co-living. Before that, a little bit about Matthew, he is a social entrepreneur, founder of Revive, which addresses the market inefficiencies in community revitalization efforts. His focus is on multifamily value add, 
multifamily co-living now, as well as the development space in distressed areas. As I mentioned, previous episode is episode 1593. He is based in San Francisco, and the website is re-viv.com. So Matthew, before we get into talking about co-living, could you tell us just a little bit more about your background and then what you've been up to since we last had you on the show? Yeah, so my background was in the energy efficiency and green building space, specifically focusing on how we can make residential and light commercial buildings more efficient. Back when I started the business in 2010, this was a blossoming industry. And I ended up taking that skill set that I learned, this kind of comprehensive knowledge of building science and how we can build more efficient and advanced structures and dovetailed that into community revitalization and essentially value add and investing in development. And then now you're doing the co-living, right? That's your focus Yeah, now. yeah. It's, you actually, I think, did the last episode just to, to let those okay. listeners know. So we were talking about Opportunity Zones back then, and that was actually around that time that we launched our Opportunity Zone Fund. And the primary focus was what's co-living, was to kind of overlay this blossoming industry with this now extremely advantageous tax deferral strategy with OpZones. So we launched our fund. We raised about a million and a half, two million in capital in the early part of 2019. I spent the rest of the half of the year trying to place that capital and got a little tripped up. We had a lot of difficulties. As everyone knows, we were very much at the top of the cycle, but here we are back at it again. So I've never heard of, of co-living applied to real estate before. So this is going to be very new to me, which is going to be good. Yeah. I can ask you questions as a complete noob. So you said that the strategy is the using the Opportunity Zone Fund and then the properties that are developed, those will be co-living spaces or is, are these two separate things? Yes, you hit the nail on the head. And then as you know, with Opportunity Zones, the majority of Opportunity Zone investments are development. We started in the value add space. So we've kind of created a hybrid, looking at adaptive reuse, converting empty warehouses and districts in Oakland and Berkeley that could be converted into co-working as well as co-living. And then also taking a single family home in an empty duplex, triplex, quadplex, and utilizing the existing zoning, we're looking at lot sizes that are much larger where there's available footprint and expansion. And in the early part of 2019, there was also an advancement in California law that allowed us to add up to two ADUs. What's ADU? An ADU is an accessory dwelling unit. So it's a granny flat. So what it's allowed us to do is basically take, say, a a traditional 2,000 square foot home that may have three to four bedrooms, right? And expand the footprint of that building up to 4,000 square feet and getting up to 12 bedrooms. So we're actually increasing the density between two to 300%. And in the context of what co-living is, and I know you want to touch on that, think of it as college-educated 22 to 35-year-olds who are struggling to find an affordable place to live, but they want to live close to a major metro where the high-paying jobs are. It sounds familiar. I'm sure some of us have experienced or we've had friends have experienced it. And, you know, what's traditionally happened is those roommates have been bunking up in three and five-bedroom homes, splitting the rent. But then you got to finish out how you're going to furnish it, how you're going to split the utility bills, who's going to clean the toilets, who's responsible for the dirty dishes. So the best way to think about co-living is it's monetizing an already existing marketplace. We call it the Craigslist marketplace, right? Apartments.com, so on and so forth. And it's really just kind of capitalizing on this roommate situation, but adding degrees of efficiency. 
So someone wants to rent a room, they don't have to worry about getting a bunch of roommates together, putting a big deposit down and taking that risk. They can simply hop on their smartphone, go to some of these co-living platforms and look and see what inventory they have available, schedule a viewing, go and meet the roommates and plug right in. So it's a turnkey strategy for people who are new to a city, again, looking for an affordable place to live. They want to be in these desirable areas, but they're really struggling to find a place. And that's the simplest way to break it down. There's all different shapes and sizes of co-living developments now. Developers are now integrating them into their mid-rise to high-rise developments. But that's really the best way I could describe it. And then, of course, you're sharing furnished areas and common spaces. So it's not like a true apartment. But it's really for those people who want an affordable place to live. The typical rents in a co-living are anywhere between 15 to 25% below the market rate rent of a studio. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. So if I'm a developer and I want to develop a multifamily building with Mm -hmm. co-living, so do I need to develop a different unit for co-living or is it the same unit as before? Typically, you're going to see higher bedroom counts. So a traditional multifamily developer, he'd have a one to three bedroom unit. And if they're set up in the development space, they're set up as pods, right? So anywhere between four to six bedrooms sharing a large common space. So you're seeing a little bit bigger footprint, which you traditionally didn't see, and a little bit more sharing of common space in lieu of that, where sometimes you're using an old Victorian or an old house that had crammed up common spaces. These guys are actually expanding common spaces, expanding now offices post-COVID where people can have a place to work from home. And they're even integrating in them to their bedrooms as well. So did that answer your question? Yeah, it did. So this is a development strategies, but also I lived in a house in college that had 13 bedrooms in it, I think. So it can be a brand new development or it can be taking an existing, as you said, Victorian type home that has a ton of bedrooms and then turning it into co-living. So that totally makes sense. And so if I'm developing an apartment, mm-hmm. Is this something where it's, I'm developing one or would it be like a hundred unit apartment that has a percentage that are co-living and a percentage that are regular? Or would it be all a hundred units co-living? Both is a short answer. People are also taking apartment complexes that have larger living spaces, common areas. Maybe they've got a formal dining as well as a kitchen and converting those extra spare rooms into bedrooms now. So you had a two one with an extra large space. You can get extra bedroom in there. That's one way of working at it. You've got to be careful. You don't want to create a crammed space. Ground-up developers, yeah, they're basically in a four to six bedroom, sharing common space. They can start from scratch. Our strategy is typically taking these larger historical homes that have a lot of common space. Again, formal dining rooms, maybe two living rooms, finding ways to convert them, but then also expanding the footprint of the building. Sometimes they have an illegalized basement. So we'll put a new foundation underneath it, expand the basement. The ADU law allows us to add up to 1,500 square feet additional. So we're kind of doing a value-add strategy plus adding development, adding square footage, which again, allows us to increase our bedroom count, squeeze the cash on cash return out of an otherwise not cash flowing asset. And again, it provides a much superior product to those guys and gals who are out there just trying to rent on Craigslist and do the buddy up system. When you're expanding, is it expanding horizontally or do you expand vertically too? Wherever the lot will allow us and we can get setbacks. (laughs) (laughs) The nice thing about the ADU law is typically residential zoning, you'll have say maybe a 10, 15 foot setback. Well, with the ADU law, you can do it right on the back lot line. 
you don't have to have to work about those setback rules, which is really, really nice because a lot of these Victorians are built on these very six large five to six, 7,000 square foot lots that are practically unutilized. You could fit almost another house there if you wanted to, if the current planning and zoning would allow you to. And that's where the ADU laws come in and, and help us kind of expand that footprint. Perfect. So my next question is going to be about where these types of properties are in demand. So can I do this yep. anywhere? You kind of got into this a little bit, but I guess a little more specific. Like what are the characteristics of the ideal market for co-living? It's funny because I thought that definition was very defined to what we're doing, which is extremely supply-constrained markets with very high period entry, high rents on a one-bedroom, San Francisco, now Oakland, which I think is now the fourth or fifth most expensive metro in the U.S., the New Yorks, the Bostons, the L.A.s. But just the other day, I met a co-living operator who's now taking four or five-bedroom house in the suburbs in Charlotte and converting that into co-living. And he's seeing very strong demand, getting great cash on cash returns, and doing a fantastic job building a portfolio. So I think, again, it's from a product in a geographic area, I'm seeing that definition continually expand. Most of what we think of in co-living is high-density urban areas, expensive markets. But again, we're seeing success with other operators who are moving into suburbial markets and an already somewhat affordable market like Charlotte out in the suburbs. And he's obviously seeing demand for his product. So there is no right answer to that question, to be honest, because again, we're constantly seeing this idea of co-living evolve and people, again, just monetizing on that existing model, but alleviating those pain points. Because normally if you're going to rent a house and then get a bunch of roommates, you're going to become the master tenant. It puts a lot of burden on someone who doesn't traditionally have property management experience. And I know I remember from our conversations, you've been through the hell of property management, right? So it's not an easy game and it creates a lot of tension. So I think what a lot of these operators are doing a very good job is not only are they taking that burden away from someone, but they're also adding in community events. They're also adding in value to those individual tenants. And I think that's really interesting. Okay, perfect. If I own one of these, how do the leases work on this? Is it an individual lease per room and I'm charging per room? Or I think I mentioned it's not going to be one lease, one person, that tenant collects rent from everyone else. How does that work? Yeah, it typically is a master lease. And then you're subleasing individual rooms. As far as the larger developers, you're traditionally going to have probably a professional management company in place. And again, they're signing individual leases for the room. So the person who owns it, is he the master lease person? Or is one of the tenants the master lease? Well, typically the property manager, excuse me, let me back up. So even on the smaller developments, we're instituting professional property management, which is technically the master tenant. Okay, got it. And then you mentioned before about co-living platforms. So you said it's capitalizing on the Craigslist marketplace. That's kind of what I thought about. And I know Joe, when he would live in New York, that's how he found a roommate was on Craigslist. And so I know people are doing this already on Craigslist, but are there specific platforms for co-living? Yeah. And when I say a platform, fancy word for a co-living operator, a property manager, right? But when I'm talking about platforms, they're instituting these technology platforms where someone's not just going to their website and here's a contact number, call me and I'll set up apartment viewing. These guys are going so far as they're creating 3D models of the internals of the building, especially since COVID, especially the ones that are VC backed. They've got mobile apps where people can go on there and check inventory. They can scroll pictures of the rooms. They can set up a leasing on their phone. 
So they're really just taking this a step further and literally building a platform for people to be able to communicate with them very much like the high-end multifamily leasing companies do. So the level of sophistication that they've instituted is what I mean when they talk about a specific platform. I see what you're saying. So it's not like a Craigslist for co-living. You're talking about the specific, like your company would have these technologies that the renters can use to have an understanding of what's available. Just like if you go to a professional property management company site and it says, here's all the available units we have for rent. And then you have that, but it's a lot more. It's as much detail with the models as those. Is that what you're saying? Correct. We want to distinguish that there are developers who are vertically integrated and providing the property management in-house. There's very few that I know of who are doing that on developing co-living assets as well as managing, but it's typically the property manager who's offering those platforms and services for the tenants to be able to go there and check that out. As a developer, we're not. We're just simply developing the assets and doing like every developer does, turning it over to a property manager who specializes in co-living. And then they have their degrees of setting up their own platforms for tenants to be able to view and check out the apartments and lease and all that fun stuff. So after you develop, are you selling them or the management company is managing them and you're still getting the income from that? Yeah, our strategy is and probably will be to hold over the long term. The reason behind that right now is there isn't a lot of comps for co-living. The debt market is starting to approach co-living differently since COVID. So I really don't think it's advantageous for anyone to be trying to develop a co-living asset and then turn around and sell it. I think you're actually going to lose a little bit of value in the marketplace until we start to see this make its way up through the chasm, through the adoption cycle, and it becomes more familiar. It becomes more of a regular part of multifamily, which every industry expert has agreed it will be. Like this is a permanent segment, but there's still some trepidatiousness and there's still a lot of unknown in this marketplace. So that's not only our motive, we're traditionally a long-term buy and hold value add investor, but that has also solidified our desire to not only develop assets, but to hold on to the long-term. Because quite frankly, we think over time, people are going to see this 15 to 25% net operating premium that we're getting on a co-living development versus a traditional multifamily. And we think that those assets are going to essentially be worth more. But right now, you're not really getting that value. That level of value is not really being appreciated in the marketplace. That totally makes sense. And so again, on the front end, how is the underwriting process, not the due diligence, but like before you're submitting an offer on these properties, how are you high level coming up with the purchase price? So basically, how do you know what rents are going to be able to get? And then how do you know the cost of the rehabs? So we've integrated with a very strong architect and integrated architect in general contracting fancy term, a design build company, general contractor. So they can really help us navigate the nuance of the development, the entitlement phase, which is very short, as well as the construction. So that makes it really easy from an underwriting perspective for us to be in constant communication with them when we get a property that are generally all the same, but again, they all have little nuance. So that's been a key portion of our underwriting. The second piece is it's extensive. So we're looking at a couple different things. There's now enough inventory that we can go out to other co-living operators who have assets on the ground and see what they're charging, which is very traditional for multifamily. The flip side of that is we're literally going to the Craigslist roommate section and as well as Craigslist listings for two, three, four, five bedrooms and saying, okay, if we were to split this amongst all roommates, what would be the price per head? What's the average rent for a roommate? And we just did this for a property that we're under contract on right now. 
where you literally have three levels of consideration. And just like in the multifamily space, now you have to look and see, okay, my roommates are around, say, $1,500 a bedroom. If someone were to split a three-bedroom, that comes out to around $1,550. But my co-living operators were fully furnished, very high-end products, very well-developed. They're more $1,700 to $1,750. So where do I land in all this, right? You have to make that determination based on the product that you have available to you what finishes you're going to institute, right? And also trying to keep up with how much supply is out there in that marketplace. So when it comes to underwriting, those are two key components, just like any value-added investor, right? Your construction costs and your rentals. We will typically, on an in-the-door basis, we'll look at a company like Rentometer, who's aggregating listings, and we'll just say, hey, the studio rent is 2000 bucks. We know we're going to have to be between 15 to 25% below that. Let's benchmark it at 20% underwriting. And that's how we'll evaluate the deal as it comes in the door. The process I just described is obviously once we're getting a property, either we've submitted LOI or we've submitted a purchase sale agreement, we're starting to get the feeling that the deal is going to maybe go under contract. Then we'll start doing that extra leg of due diligence. And that's the extensiveness of our underwriting process. It sounds very simple, but of course, it's fairly complex. And of course, we spend mm-hmm. a lot of time building our pro formas up to where we can, with our own in-house metrics, be able to quickly analyze these deals. We've gotten to the point now where these smaller co-living deals, we can underwrite in 45 minutes. Something I didn't even think about, you might've mentioned it before, but it's just clicking now. And so when you say furnished, you just mean the common areas need to be furnished, right? Correct. So again, this is kind of, this is super detailed, but are you putting in silverware? Who buys the silverware? Who buys the towels? How's that work? I think that's a great question. Towels, I'm not sure of. I think that's what you got to bring your own, especially in the (laughs) days of COVID. But yes, traditionally, all the furnishings, all the kitchenware, all that stuff is there for you. Again, they try to make it as turnkey possible. And there are also operators who are going out there and furnishing their apartments. Some people have differing opinions from a liability perspective, from a tenant preference. But the majority of the operators that I know very high-end finishes. Some are even instituting interior designers to come in here and make these spaces much nicer than the places you and I probably lived in coming out of college. Seriously. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, right. So the level of detail there is is great. And yeah, most Mm -hmm. of that stuff is just well-finished and everything's pretty much supplied and stocked and ready. All the way down to toilet paper and those type of things because all of them have their own cleaning plan. They all have their own cleaners coming in and cleaning the place regularly. I can definitely see that there's going to be a lot of demand for this in the future, for sure. 100%. Yeah. So, all right, Matthew, is there anything else that you want to mention about this strategy, about where people can learn more about you and your company before we sign off? Yeah, I would just like to say that there is still a lot of degree of doubt in the co-living space, especially with COVID. And we've seen this just in the last two months. And I would just like to remind your users, just let's rewind. Let's go back to, say, March or even further. Let's go February, January, December of 19, right? And think about the world that we lived in prior to COVID, because we're also seeing this in this, everyone's moving out of the urban cores, everyone's flying to the suburbs. And there's a lot of doubt being sown in the co-living space. And for me, it's a very simple, just go back to the world that we were in before, where 72% of all the jobs created out of the last recession, we're in metros over a million people. There was a reason why people were flocking to these job cores, and there's a reason why people are going to be flocking to them in the future. And once we have a vaccine developed and we've moved past this, 
I think a lot of the concerns that are founded, but they're a little unfounded, they're a little irrational in the co-living space. I challenge people just to think about that, that the pandemic is a temporary situation and co-living is very much, in my perspective, a long-term trend. Perfect, Matthew. It was great catching up and thanks for going in a lot of detail on this co-living strategy. And so we talked about some of the advantages from both the operator developer's perspective, as well as from the renter's perspective. We talked about the strategy. You can develop a new property and turn that into co-living. You can find one of these big, as you mentioned, what your company specializes in, these big single-family Victorian homes with lots of rooms and common areas. You can buy something and expand upon it horizontally or vertically. So there's really a lot of different options you have for the type of property you can buy or create to do this. You also talked about the market and how you thought that initially it would be the high density urban areas with really high one bedroom rents with very low supply, but then you heard of someone who's doing it out in a suburban area. So there's really no specific definition for the market. It can really work anywhere. Maybe a good thing to do is just go on Craigslist and see how many people are looking for roommates. You also talk about the underwriting process and the way you're approaching the construction costs is partnering with a company that specializes in design and building. And then for the rents, depending on where you're at, right? If you're in one of these high density urban areas, there might be enough inventory to do the traditional rent comps. If you're not, then you can go on the, the roommates section on Craigslist and calculate comps that way. Go to Rentometer, take a look at the studio costs, and then reduce that by 15, 20% and do it that way. And you said a lot more. That's just all I got in my notes. So definitely worth a listen. And then at the end, you mentioned how there are doubts around co-living, but if you go back to this time last year, I'm sure everyone thought this was the best idea ever. So this is <laughs> the situation we're going in now is temporary. I can totally see this being a huge thing in five to 10 years, especially with people coming out of school and you're moving someplace and you don't know anyone. If I moved somewhere and I didn't know someone that lived there that I could live with, I would have gone on Craigslist, right? Or done something like this. Yeah. Matthew, again, appreciate you joining us again today. Best of listeners as always. Thank you for listening. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you, Theo. Appreciate it. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting-edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com.